yeah, it's a big deal in the life of a Christian and in the life of the church and the life of the world. Really, the history of the world is Easter Sunday, is resurrection, the day of the resurrection. Why is it such a big deal? Well, we're going to talk about that this morning, so I'm glad that you came. I'm going to read from John chapter 20, and I'm going to read basically this whole chapter, uh, which is 31 verses. Not, not real long, but this is the account from Scripture, what we're celebrating this morning, what happened on that day. John chapter 20, I'll begin reading in verse 1. It says this, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark. And she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went uh, out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But I go to my brothers and, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from them, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, his nickname, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I, see his hand, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, 
and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand, place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for demonstrating your love for us for taking on flesh, taking on our struggles and our pain, <clears throat> walking these streets and submitting yourself even to death and mockery and on the cross. And thank you that you were true to your promise and demonstrated your power over sin and death by rising on the third day. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for this passage of Scripture. Lord, speak to us through it. Lord, I have nothing clever or smart enough to say this morning that would make an eternal impact in people's hearts and lives, but you do. So God, I ask you to speak. Holy Spirit, speak in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title of today's message is The Resurrection Changes Everything. There is a uh, quote from Josephus. Some of you may have heard of uh, him. He is a Jewish historian in the first century. Came on the scene right after Jesus uh, and uh, wrote about many historical things in the Jewish culture. And many, uh, the Jewish uh, people today still see him as a uh, source for history. And he wrote this. At this time, there was a wise man called Jesus, and his conduct was good. And he was known to be virtuous. Many people among the Jews and the other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die. But those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. They reported that he had appeared to them three days after his crucifixion and that he was alive. Accordingly, he was perhaps the Messiah concerning whom the prophets have reported wonders. And the tribe of the Christians, so named after him, has not disappeared to this day. See, this historical event that took place is the most consequential event in all of history for mankind. And there are two types of people, there are two sets of ears that hear this story or read this passage. There are those who say, mm-hmm, yeah, right. Like Josephus, for all that we know, was not a converted Christian, but he says perhaps and maybe. It's reported. And then there are others that would say, my Lord and my God. 
as Thomas did. In the end, our response to this, our response to the resurrection means everything. It means everything. And so in this passage, we see a little of both, right? And at some point, it represents all of us. At some point, whether you're a a follower of Christ, whether you uh, have said, my Lord, my God, I believe it. Yes, the resurrection. Yes, Christ or not. There's been a time in your life where you said, hmm, not quite sure about that. And so the big question that I want us to answer this morning is, why does it matter? Why does it matter? Why is it such a big deal? Can't we just enjoy this holiday? Can't we just celebrate spring and and all those things, eat good food, hide some eggs? Well, I want to start the answer by looking at this interaction between Jesus and Thomas post-resurrection. Who is Thomas? The only other time we hear about Thomas, the only time we see him in Scripture is in John chapter 11. If you remember, Jesus had just been told about Lazarus had passed away and he was going to go and uh, we know now he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And he was talking about going and his disciples were like, it's going to be dangerous or whatever. And Thomas piped up and said, hey guys, if he's going, let's go with him. So if he dies, we die. That's the only line that we have from Thomas in all of scripture. So Thomas is here as one of the main characters post-resurrection. So why put him at the center of this story? I mean, it seems like this dramatic trial that Jesus went through, the crucifixion, right? Carrying the cross to Mount Calvary and dying and then the grave, the tomb, and then the, the lightning, the earthquakes, uh, Matthew calls it when he um, talks about this resurrection. He talks about when the, the angel came and sat on the the stone that they rolled away, that God rolled away from the tomb. His appearance was like lightning. And you would think all of that is the pinnacle of the story. And so why does he add this right after it with Thomas? And, you know, this is one of the actual convincing things to me. I'm not, this is not going to be my focus this morning, but kind of proving the resurrection. I can't, I can't necessarily do that. I wasn't there. But there are a lot of little clues. If you were an investigator, if you were a lawyer, you'd look into this and say, it's not that there's not evidence, right? And some of the things, if you, if you read some, some of the scholars that talk about even the account of the resurrection, these little details that someone who's making up the story doesn't just put in there. One particular that Mary Magdalene was the first eyewitness of Jesus, because people then didn't count what a woman would say as credible. And the fact that Jesus came to her first. So that's something that if they were making up the story, they wouldn't have put in there. And then this story about Thomas and even some of the detail here about how the stuff was, was folded up, how his linens were folded up and all those things. There's a, there's a lot of those things. I, I did a couple pages on it, uh, kind of a rabbit trail as I was studying, but I put that aside. We'll, we'll talk about that another time. But here we have Thomas, who's voicing these questions. Why? I believe it's to meet you and I right where we're at this morning as we look at the resurrection. You know, we come to a celebration or we're involved in a celebration or we're, we're hearing about Easter and we're going through the, this, this celebration, this process, this season of time. And there's many who are just kind of like, okay. I believe Jesus comes to us just like he came to Thomas in his doubt. He knew Thomas's heart. He knew what was going on inside Thomas. 
And Thomas was like, I can't, I don't have proof. I can't see it. I can't feel it. I mean, that's, that's so us, right? That's so mankind. It's about what I can see and feel and touch. Jesus knows. Jesus went beyond Thomas's small barriers that he put up and went straight to Thomas's heart. That's why he came. And whatever our walls, whatever your tests are today, and all of us have them at one point or another, that we've put up for Christ. We've determined this is how we know truth and how we'll find truth. Jesus goes beyond that. Jesus goes to the heart of the matter. And the resurrection is all about that. And so a few things that I think Thomas actually helps us to learn this morning in this account are by, about why the resurrection matters. And the first is, the resurrection means that my past is redeemed. My past, your past, is redeemed. In verse 25, you see where uh, Thomas says, Unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails and place my finger to the mark of the nails, I don't believe. I don't buy it. And this is after Jesus had, had already predicted his death, you remember, and his resurrection to the disciples over and over again. He had told the disciples, and, and Thomas is going straight against that. Nope. You're going to have to prove it to me. And then verse 27 Jesus comes to Thomas and says, put your finger here. See my hands. Put your hand. Place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Number one, how did Jesus know that, that, that Thomas doubted? It doesn't tell us anything in the text that he came in and was eavesdropping or, you know, somebody else that said, hey, you might want to talk to Thomas. He's, he's a little behind the curve. No, it says he came. He knew Thomas's heart. He knew where Tom, he knew all about Thomas. He knows all about you. He knows all about me. He came straight to him, straight in the middle of his doubt. Even the disciples, when he first appeared to the disciples, remember it says the doors were locked. That that Greek word means barred. That means they had they had tried to make themselves safe. They were afraid of what was coming. They were afraid of the of the Jews. They were also afraid of the Romans. They didn't want to happen to them what had happened to Jesus. But Jesus came and met him in his doubt, met them in their doubt. He didn't show up. Jesus didn't say right away. He didn't rebuke them, right? What did he say? When he met, when he appeared to the disciples and when he appeared to, to Thomas, what did he say? Peace be with you. Peace. Calm down. No need to fear. No need to fight. Peace be with you. And Jesus is saying to you and to me today, I know you. I know where you've been. I know who you are. I know it all. I know your doubt. I know your pain. I know your struggles. I know your rebellion, your mistakes. I know you've tried life without me. I know this seems crazy to you, but I'm here. I'm here and I'm calling to you. Jesus said that his purpose in coming to the earth in Luke chapter 9, he says, was to seek and save the lost. So many people tried to make it about other things. He was this next great mayor, or he was going to take over the government, or he was going to, you know, set up a booth and feed everybody and all those things. And he did some of that, but the reason that he came was to seek and save the lost. So many people came to Jesus with broken pasts, prostitutes, lepers, the Apostle Paul, who quite possibly murdered Christians, he had an adulteress. Remember, he, the woman caught an adultery. He, I came to Jesus 
the chief of sinners. Over and over again, the religious people saw Jesus with these broken people, these people with these questionable pasts, and said, what's he doing with them? And Jesus rebuked them. He said, I've come to make them new. I've come to make you new. Do not disbelieve, believe. They came to Jesus in faith, and that's what he calls us to. A lot of times people say, well, why do you got to be like, you know, you hear all these stories about people broken and in prison or addicted to drugs and coming to Christ and having these jailhouse conversions. You know what? I can't search everybody's heart, but I do know this. Sometimes you know you're broken. And sometimes you don't. Sometimes life, you feel like you got a pretty good handle on it. But sometimes you realize you don't. And to come to Christ in our brokenness is what he calls us to. That's, that's the part of us he's come to heal. Not, not to add something to our life, but to come to us in our brokenness and our rebellion. And he proves that with Thomas and with these disciples. Jesus comes in love to heal us and to heal our past. The Bible says to remove our sin as far as the east is from the west. It's not about religion. You know, I thought about this week. I thought about my own testimony. I thought about Tony and I's testimony. You know, one of the risks of being a preacher's wife or family is sometimes your stuff gets put out there. I hope this is okay, babe. But um, we are not who we used to be. Thank God. That just, that makes me want to just collapse right here and like cry, like a crybaby. Because I think about the life that we have. I think about the man that I was the husband that I was, the father that I was, and that God has transformed us. We we were the definition of toxic in our relationship. And God restored us, redeemed us, changed us as a family and as individuals, completely made us new. See, Jesus came to take our scars and turn them into his glory, into God's glory. There's a passage of scripture that means so much to me. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. The Apostle Paul says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, the worst. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. Listen, the theme of Easter, right? Everywhere is new life. New life, we, we, you'll see that even in the secular world. Eggs, chicks, all those things, it's new life, Right? Jesus brings new life. Jesus and Jesus alone gives us new life, new beginning. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if, anything, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. The resurrection makes that possible. Jesus is who he said he was. Jesus says, I came to make you new. I came to redefine you. So many in our society and so many of us are trying to figure out our identity. And what we're finding is we're just putting up walls between each other. We're trying to find our individual identity and say that we're unified. But actually what we're doing is we're just putting walls between us, pointing out our differences. Yes, we're different, but we are all children of God. 
God's desire is that we would all walk with Him, that we would all live in accordance with His desire and plan for our lives. And that brings us together. It doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter any your gender. It doesn't matter any of those things. But we are all one in Christ. So how did he accomplish this newness, this redemption, redeeming our past? Jesus tells Thomas, what did he tell him? He said, look at my wounds. That's where the answer is. Look at my wounds. In the end, the wounds of Christ, the scars from the cross that bring our healing. They bring our newness. Isaiah 53 That he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We are all in the same situation. We are all in the same need of a relationship with our creator. Jesus came, died on the cross, and rose again to put a marker in time to let us all know God loves you and wants you to love him. Doesn't matter where you've been, doesn't matter what you've done. He brings healing, he brings newness. Romans 4.25, who was delivered up for our trespasses, Christ, and raised for our justification. The crucifixion and the resurrection work hand in hand. Jesus came as a warrior. He came to lop off the head of sin and death. He came to make you new. God saw you and I and this world saw us trying our hardest, trying to get along, trying there's something missing. I'm not sure. Maybe. I don't know. And he sent Christ in the flesh to demonstrate to the whole world, to put a marker in time that he can redeem our past. So not only is our past redeemed because of the resurrection, but my present is at peace. Jesus showed up both times, right? Verse 19, verse 26, and said, peace be with you. You no longer have to fear. You no longer have to hide. You no longer have to lock the doors. See, God has created you for more than what you're pursuing. He says in verse 31 in this passage, that by believing you may have life. Remember Jesus as he came into Jerusalem? We talked about it last week and they were saying Hosanna and all those things. He looked over Jerusalem. There's a big party going on and he started to weep. And what did he say? He said, if you only knew what real peace is, if you only knew really what makes for peace, it's not all the things that you're pursuing. And sometimes I, I talk to people, and, and, and I was the same way as well. And we think, you know what? Christianity is just about what I can't do, what I have to give up, right? But actually, it is the fulfillment, the resurrection, the life of Christ, his death and resurrection, is actually the fulfillment of all your desires, your God-given Desires, what you were created for and with. In all of our romances, we're after Jesus. In all of our ambition, we're after Christ. In our pursuit of peace within and peace in the world, we're after Jesus. 
That's what is driving us. That, that desire is God-given desire to love and be loved and first and foremost in God Almighty. He never created us to try and find it on our own. He came to bring us peace. Ecclesiastes 11, 3.11. God has set eternity in the heart of man. Every man, woman, boy, and girl. God has put that little ingredient within us as a, as a homing signal to him. And so to have peace in life, to have peace today, is to know him, is to know the power of the resurrection, is to, to know the risen Christ. Otherwise, we hold on to an illusion of control, right? Why, why don't we want to release our lives to Christ? It's because Christian, even day in and day out, we say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, he rose from the grave. That's all great. Now, let me, let me get my schedule together and just ignore, ignore his desire for my life. He created us to walk with him, to give up control daily, because it's just an illusion, right? C.S. Lewis wrote, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot even imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Jesus came, lived, died, rose from the grave to give you peace today so that you could live this life not bound by whether this happens or that happens or this person or that person. I, I, we try to find our peace in other people. That, that never works. We all fail. Find our peace with God through Christ. He came out of love to give us peace today. And he calls for us to come to that place like Thomas where he says, my Lord and my God, and to live that way. Live my life I remember my brother told me one time, I think I've shared that with you before, he and I, we were on the same path. We were headed for destruction. And God got a hold of my life. And we still kind of, we worked together and did some things together. And I was trying to encourage him, you know, because he was raised knowing, you know, scripture and knowing about Jesus and all these things. I was trying to, he's, that was him in the picture. He's eight years older than me, so it's, it's kind of hard. He thinks I'm his little brother. I mean, I am. Um, <laughs> But he was just like, listen, what does God want from me? What does he want me to walk around going, oh, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Yes, oh, God. I got work to do. I said, no. What he wants is your heart. What he wants is first place in your heart and life because you were created and designed for a relationship with God. Jesus is the bridge to that. Jesus brings the peace that says, I don't have to find that in any other thing. I don't have to find that in this job I'm doing. doesn't mean I don't go to work. It means I know this doesn't define me. I'm defined by my relationship with a God who saw me, pursued me, loved me, didn't let me go, didn't let me alone but continue to call to me to give me peace in this life. You notice something, Thomas, the, the scripture here doesn't tell us that Thomas actually touched the wounds, right? He said that's what he needed, and Jesus said, go ahead, but he, he just said, my God, my Lord and my God. See, we come to Christ, we have to drop our preconditions, right? We all, we all have them. I'll come to the Lord 
when, or I'll come to Christ if, and when I get this straight or I get that straight. If I say I will come to Jesus X or trust Him X or surrender my life to Him X, and X is God in your life. X is what I'm living my life for. And before I know it, they'll be gathered around a gravesite. And what I, will I, what I will have done is pursued X my whole life. And then I have to stand before God. So the, the resurrection destroys all these other little G gods. It frees us to live life to the full. Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, I've come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. The way that we live life is right here. He said, I came so that you might have life to the, to the fullest. How you were created, what you were created for. And Christian, that is every day. He's calling you to live in light of the resurrection. The life that he's come to give. The peace that he's come to give. So he's, the resurrection means my past is redeemed. Jesus paid the price for my sin on the cross. He made me right with God. I received that by faith. It gives me peace for the present. Peace for today. I know that I'm... I know that I have a God who loves me and cares for me and walks with me. And finally, the resurrection means my future is secure. Tradition, historical writers say that Thomas traveled after Jesus ascended. He traveled to southern India and preached to the people there. He established a community and eventually was martyred. For his faith. Something happened to Thomas. He went from hiding out with the other disciples to giving his life for Christ. Something happened to all these disciples. They went from hiding to many of them going to their deaths for a lie that they knew was a lie. You'd think one of them at some point would be like, okay, freeze. He's in Peter's backyard. You know what I'm saying? Sorry, I got off a little bit on that. But Thomas gave his life. Something happened in Thomas. He had a different future. He had a different purpose for living. He realized this, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. God is behind the scenes working Jesus dying on the cross and then raising from the grave, conquering sin and death, removes that, removes that fear, and removes that barrier between us and God, right? When Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says that the veil in the temple was torn in two because only the, chief, only the high priest could go in there to God's presence. When Jesus died on the cross, he removed that so that you and I have full access to the Father. We have full access to God. And we can walk with him and we can trust that he's got our future. But most of us kind of are in a scramble, right? Going from one thing to the next, trying to figure out, you know what, I'm going to upgrade in this and that and I'm going to make my life better instead of trusting in him. I remember my son, Stephen, our oldest son, there was a time in life where we, were, we had gone to some Christian concert or something. I forget what it was. And he was sitting in the back seat and I think he was like 16 or 15 
And we're driving, and I'm giving my dad speech. You know, it's like, all right, you got to keep your grades up. You know, grades matter. Ninth grade, right? That's what I was told. You know, you got to start watching your grades and getting your portfolio together. Go to college. You know, you got to figure that out. And you know, I was, I was doing my whole thing, and he's just sitting back there. And finally, he goes, "It's too much for a kid." <laughs> he's like, "This is too much." Like this, and then he explained. He said, "This period of time, you're still just a kid." But from what you're saying, all these decisions are going are gonna to affect the rest of my life. That's too much. <laughs> That's too much for a kid. Listen, it's too much for all of us. It's too much for all of us. But Christ came to build a bridge, bridge to the Father, to bring His Spirit to us so that we can walk and talk and live with a confidence that God's got me. And spend my days trusting in Him, being diligent, Walking, but trusting my steps to the Father, trusting that He has a bigger purpose for me. It's interesting because really what Thomas doubted was the disciples. He was doubting what they said to him. Who knows what is, you know, he may have had some bad experience with John and, and Peter. And he said, you're right. I believe it when I see it. But listen, we all have, we all have walls in different places. We all have reasons for not having faith. Life has hardened so many of us. Don't trust anybody. Only what I can do and make for myself is what is real. Jesus came to loosen our grip on those things. Jesus didn't have an easy life. I was thinking about that this morning. You know, sometimes we think about Jesus just kind of hovering over everybody all the time. It says, you know, for 30-some years, he was a carpenter in the Middle East. It was difficult, poor, from a poor family. Scripture tells us he went through everything we go through and yet was without sin. And yet he went all the way. He took on our struggle. He took on our flesh to show us the love of the Father, to live that perfect life. And then demonstrating on the cross the love of God and the empty tomb. Telling you and me, Death's nothing. I got it. I got you. Don't worry about death. Don't worry about the future. Trust in me. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. He'll keep you at peace. He will walk with you. He holds tomorrow in the palm of his hand. Peter, in the next chapter, in chapter 21, there's one more chapter after this. And it's Jesus having an interaction with Peter. And he's basically telling Peter what's coming and that basically Peter's going to be put to death as well. You remember we talked about last week Then Peter looks over at John and says, what about him? He says, don't worry about him. I have a plan for him. God has a plan for you, a plan for your life. You can trust in him. Anything that you think about the future right now, anything you're thinking about for tomorrow and the next day is faith. You're trusting in yourself to make it happen. Or you're trusting in somebody else or the government or the odds or, or kind of what I've always done. But it's faith that it's going to be that way. It's going to happen. Jesus calls us to put our faith in a higher place in him. Jesus came to give us what the Father has for us, real life. Scripture tells us, Jeremiah 29, For I know the plans I have for you, describes the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. 
We're created with a purpose. All that was unlocked at the empty tomb. You're secure in Him. 1 Corinthians 15, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Our perspective of dying as well. Jesus came to free us from the fear of death, right? Sometimes we just put that aside. We say, you know, I'll just block that out. I'll think about that another time. But Jesus came to give us hope in that. I've told you the story sitting around my grandfather's bedside while, while he asked me to sing hymns for them while he was, he was going on to be with the Lord. He was swinging out into eternity on that. What a testimony to me. He wasn't afraid. I heard a comedian recently say, you ever drive, you're ever driving along in your car and you get to a red light and you sit for a second and all of a sudden that feeling starts creeping in? You know that feeling we all get like deep inside here like, oh God, everything's meaningless. Oh no. He's like, pick up your phone and just start doing something. Kind of funny the way he said it, but it's true. There's that void. There's that meaninglessness of life somehow and the end of it, like if I can just survive and be comfortable, get me in a decent car and a place to live and just give me a few of these things. And that's what our limit in life is. And Jesus came to give us everything that God created us for and beyond the grave. Jesus defeated death. Second Corinthians five, eight says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So we will all see him face to face one day and what he's going to, Look at is what we said about the resurrection of Christ. Did we say, my Lord and my God, or did we say, I need more? And the resurrection, as I close here, is critical. It's central. You know, our, our culture would like to leave this part out. The miraculous, the supernatural part of it. Because when we leave out the resurrection, then it becomes about us, right? It's about listening to Jesus' teaching, being a better person, That moral message is very comfortable with middle-class, comfortable people. It really is. We walk out of the church and say, you know what? That was a good good message. I need to try and be more like Jesus. But those aren't the original people who heard the gospel. Those original people that heard the gospel were suffering, were broken. It wasn't a message of... Do as I do. Jesus said, I've come to make you new, to give you hope and peace. That results in two different religions. There's either one that's, or one, two different outlooks. There's one that says, you know what, I want to try, do my best to live like Jesus. The other says, I'm going to trust in Jesus' death and resurrection for new life. And that's what Scripture tells us He came to do, that we might put our faith in Him. It's not about what Jesus taught. Don't get me wrong. Don't walk out of here and say, Pastor Steve said it doesn't matter what Jesus taught. I'm not saying that. It's about what Jesus did. Look at what he did and then what he said makes more sense. The response of Thomas was faith. Like I said, he didn't touch according to this this passage. He didn't actually touched Jesus' side or his hands. He dropped his preconditions and he trusted Christ. Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. That's the call for every one of us today on Resurrection Sunday. The reminder that Jesus is king. He has all the power. He's overcome sin and death. 
And he says that by believing that, you may have life in his name. So how do I receive this faith? Well, Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. All that God asks us to do is, is to come to him and acknowledge that he is true. I'm going to encourage you today to put your faith in Christ if you never have. 